we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson here. Fine solo today. Adam Dravetta out. I'll have you covered. We're going to be joined by Jay Billis of Jay Billis fame, um, ESPN, College Game Day. He'll be on the call, I believe, Saturday for KU Kentucky. We'll be joined by him in about 35 minutes. Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio, who has been kind enough to take up some of his time and um, join the show the past couple of years that we've had this SEC showdown with KU taking on Kentucky. He'll join us at 440. Did you see this? Did you hear about this? Last night, Charlie Moore canned a half-court shot off the backboard for Miami. It was it was a tie game. They were taking on Virginia Tech, and 75-75 hits the half-court shot. Pandemonium. Miami wins. Charlie Moore, former friend of KU, I guess you could say, averaging 12.5 points per game. He is averaging four assists per game for a Miami team that is currently 15-5, and five and leading the ACC at 7-2. and two. He's also shooting 44% from the field and 39 from three. So the efficiency has been solid. It's not like he's just getting up a bunch of shots and chucking. And again, he's he's on a good team. And by the way, um, you know, the Dayton loss at the time when, when KU lost to Dayton looked really bad because we made note that Dayton had like three losses to sub-200 teams on Ken Palm. Well, the team that the Dayton beat before KU was actually Miami, so I guess the Dayton win is is really starting to look even better now. Um, but it's funny because as you look at what is missing uh, on this KU team or, or what do they need to get more out of to, to try to reach the potential, make a Final Four, and so forth. And, you know, if you'd want to say the defense is number one, I'm all aboard that. They're number 50 in, in Ken Palm in, in defensive efficiency. The offense is top five. So clearly, that's a bigger issue. But if we're talking, you know, more intrinsically in, in the player type, like they could just use more guard play. And that's not a knock on Dewan Harris. I think you could just use another one. We've seen so many two-guard systems with Bill Self work, but maybe this year you just don't have the rest of the roster to play the two-guard system because that goes back in line with the idea of if you're playing a second lead guard out there next to Dewan, who are you taking off the court? So it becomes a, a tough challenge there. Dewan Harris is a really good player, really good role player, for this team, but is he going to be the reason that in an Elite Eight game or Sweet 16 game, you're picking KU to beat a three seed or a one seed? No, he's not. And in the NCAA tournament where that lead guard play and, and having a lead guard that can go get his, that can go get a bucket, that can create for you in these tough half-court settings, it's so important. Now, it seems like KU has one of those on the roster with Remy Martin, but as we've chronicled, that whole situation big question mark right verbal meme Nick Young with a bunch of question marks around him 
it's funny because KU could use a Charlie Moore, right? Uh, a point guard who can score for them. And again, I think Remy Martin can and is that, but it just hasn't happened yet. And, and I don't mean to say that to act like Charlie Moore would be getting minutes for KU right now. We saw that experiment. Didn't work out. Um, honestly, he probably would not be getting minutes for this KU team. I just mean the prototype of what he was coming in, that he was supposed to be a KU, and now that he is for Miami, it's just funny. And although maybe if he did stick around, like maybe he does at that point, this would be what, like year three in the system or something for him. So maybe by now he would have figured it out and, and would be part of the rotation as opposed to that one year when he really struggled getting into the rotation and, and wasn't very efficient. I just think it's it's an interesting view of maybe also what's going on to a guy like Joe Yesifu. Like, is Joe Yesifu the next Charlie Moore? Because as much as this lead guard conversation, and, and that's kind of becoming a question to me of, do you have enough punch from the lead guard spot if Remy Martin is not living up to the billing or you're not playing him enough or, or whatever it is, do you have enough from that position to go on a deep run in March? And if we would have asked that before the season and said that, hey, it's not going to maybe work out with the Remy Martin situation as, as much as we thought, it's not going to click right away, we'd probably say, well, at least they have another option with Joe Yesifu, right? We're talking about a guy who filled into the starting lineup at Drake, and I think what we're learning now is maybe, maybe it was just like a hot couple months stretch. Maybe he's just struggling adjusting for whatever reason to KU. Obviously, there is a big difference between playing in the Missouri Valley and, and the Big 12. But even then, like Joe Yesifu was doing it in the NCAA tournament, he went off against a USC team that crushed Kansas in the NCAA tournament. He was averaging 20 points per game in the month of March. He was averaging darn near it in the month of February, shooting 40% from three in the month of March. Like He was getting it going. And, and last year, the issue with, what was probably Bill Self's worst offensive team in his time at Kansas, they didn't have anybody who could go get theirs. They didn't have any like lead guard who could shake you or, or make something happen with, with time running off the shot clock. And may, maybe that's less important this year because in a, in a way you've almost found it with a go-to option in Ochai. But even then, it, it's not that Ochai is going to shake and bake you, drive to the rim, and either kick out to somebody open or finish at the rim. He's just such an elite jump shooter. What happens if if the shots don't fall, right? You almost need somebody to, to still create or you need a secondary option because it might not always be Ochai's night or there might be a double team or whatever it is. And with Joe Yesifu, I think as, as much as the Remy Martin experience maybe hasn't gone to plan, you could almost argue that that one has gone even less to plan. I mean, I remember conversations in the offseason we were having about, is Joe Yesifu a starter? Is it going to be Remy Martin next to Joe Yesifu as the two guards? And then eventually, the more we heard from the coaching staff and everything, it evolved into understanding how Dewan Harris had progressed and that it sounded like he was going to be a starter. But it still felt like Joe Yesifu was going to play a sizable role off the bench. And I just don't know what the rest of the season holds for him but certainly the prototype of what he could be in the same way of the prototype of what Remy Martin could be to this team would be quite desirable, even though I'm not really expecting something to come to fruition there. And I don't know what that means like long-term either. Like with Charlie Moore, I mentioned, you know, 
kind of felt like the same thing. You had Charlie Moore come in, the smaller guard, and, and with Charlie it was different. He came in and he had to sit out a year for KU after coming in from Cal, but he was this guy who played at a uh, school that wasn't, you know, it's prime time. Cal's obviously a power five, but they were not a very good team. Put up pretty good numbers, came in, could never really establish himself in the rotation, and was known as a good little scorer, good shooter in his time at Cal, and, and that's what he's been mentioned he was shooting 39% from three against Miami, but he just he couldn't find any rhythm, and I don't know if it was a confidence thing or just, you know, bad sample size, small sample, and not getting that rhythm, but the shooting numbers were really bad, and that's been the case for Joe Yesifu in the same way that it was with Charlie Moore, the smaller guard that hasn't been able to make it work, even though the prototype of having this small short shooting guard or small lead guard that's a good shooter, I guess is the way to put it, has worked under Bill Self. So I don't know what the future holds for him, but, you know, he's already used his free transfer. And I would think with Remy Martin leaving after this year and KU not having any point guard commits in, in the freshman class, like I'm sure there's a bigger opening for playing time next year if he stays, which I haven't heard anything one way or another, so I'm not trying to, like, insinuate that. I'm just saying in comparison to the path that Charlie Moore took where eventually he was just like, you know what, after one year at Kansas, like, I'm gone, right? It's just interesting that when KU did add Yesifu, it felt like he was one of the direct answers to their issues last season. And there was a comment from Bill Self a week or two ago about how he's kind of like point guard number four for Kansas. And boy, could KU use a guard like him playing well that can score in bunches. And what was thought of as a fixed position of that creation and, and having scoring guards between Yesifu and Remy certainly is, has not lived up to the preseason billing, which I think ties all up into what we're going to see on Saturday. KU taking on Kentucky, and this is what makes it all the more interesting to me. Now, if you're talking, you know, the big headlines, I'm sure a big part of the game will be the discussion of Ochag Baji and Oscar Shibwe. Those are probably two of the top three, at the very least two of the top five National Player of the Year candidates right now, and they're going to be going up against each other on opposite sides of the court. But you have two guards at Kentucky who are really good and who also KU was in on in this offseason. Now, I don't totally know to what level they were in on Severe, severe Wheeler. Um, there were rumors about that. I don't remember the exact timeline there with, with Wheeler and then Remy Martin happened. If KU kind of just backed off once Remy became available and was like, no, listen, uh, we'd rather get Remy because Severe Wheeler had very bad shooting numbers. Like, you just you run into a problem of you'd have two short guards, and if you think playing Remy and Dewan is two short guards, well, Severe Wheeler is another like three or four inches shorter than Remy Martin. He's five foot nine, and also, you know, you'd be playing two guards next to each other with Wheeler and Dewan, neither of which could shoot. Wheeler shot twenty two and a half percent from three last year. He's been a little better this year, but he's still at 27% from three. So that wouldn't really be a great fit, even though Severe Wheeler is a, a good player. He's averaging 11 and seven. It's just, I don't think you would have fit well with KU. So I, I don't know how much of that one was just Severe Wheeler would rather go to Kentucky and maybe he would have rather gone anyway versus how much KU just backed off. Nonetheless, Ty Ty Washington was absolutely somebody that KU was in on, somebody that KU wanted to bring to the program, but they just lost out on the recruiting battle in that one to Kentucky. So you had two guys that you were, to some extent, in on. And when I look at Kentucky, I see a team that absolutely could go deep in March. Not just because they have a coach that has proven 
uh, to have a track record of going deep in March, not just because they have a National Player of the Year candidate in Oscar Shibway and they're really good on the offensive end of the floor and they're solid on the defensive end, though not elite, and they are elite in, in both ends rebounding, basically big thanks to Oscar Shibway, and they do have some pro talent on the team and they have experienced players and, and transfers like Kellen Grady who have been around the game. They have everything you need for a run, but also because they have elite guard play. Ty Ty Washington, probably going to be a lottery pick. And it's not just that he's one of those guys where it's, oh, he's going to be a lottery pick on projection. Like he is having a good and very efficient season. When you look at Severe Wheeler, again, he has some limitations, some flaws with shooting, but overall he is a pretty good player, right? Um, Davion Mintz, if you consider Kellen Grady a guard, like they have really good guard play from the lead guard positions in a season where I don't know that there's too many obvious answers about this is the best like lead point guard in the country. So I say all this about Kentucky and, and how I do think they have that recipe led by the lead guards of a team that can go deep in March to say, I'm not sure Kansas has that. And so for Saturday, because unless Remy Martin or tying this back to Joe Yesifu, I guess even Bobby Pettiford, who we haven't seen play in the last two games, if they were to get it going, and I mean at this point time is is definitely running out, then it changes this conversation if they do get it going. But as of right now, I, I don't think KU has proven that they do have that elite lead guard play that a lot of times you need to make a deep run in March doesn't mean you have to have it, but it certainly is, I would say, as impactful as anything that you could have. So from that standpoint, seeing this team face off against Kentucky on Saturday, a team that does have those things, that would go a long way if KU did have a good performance from those guards. That would go a long way if Dewan Harris you know, was was a pest on, on Ty Ty Washington. And if Remy Martin had one of his better games and was able to hit big shots for you and came in and make you feel like, hey, we did make the right decision choosing Remy over Severe Wheeler, if that was truly a decision. On the flip side, if you lose this game on Saturday and it's pretty obvious that, you know, your lead guards were kind of getting toasted, because think about that. The last time KU played like a team with really good lead guards, like Texas Tech, team of forwards, wings, all that stuff. Kansas State, you know, they're not a great team or anything, but their two best players are probably the two lead guards. I guess you could argue Mark Smith, the undersized four. But those two guys gave you hell. I mean, those two guys outplayed your lead guards in that game. Kentucky has better lead guards than Kansas State. And if that's an issue for KU, that they're getting outplayed at the lead guard spot, it's not just that I wonder if KU has enough there unless they get more from Remy Martin. But it's also that the other teams you're going to be going against do have enough there to make it even tougher on you. So that's why this Saturday, I think, is, is such an important takeaway for me. Honestly, KU could lose the game, but if the lead guards go toe-to-toe with Kentuckys or they outperform them, that would be a pretty important takeaway for me from this game. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017-1320-KLWN-KLWN.com. We'll be right back after this timeout. Jay Billis joins us in about 20 minutes. Jay Billis joins the show in about 15 minutes. We're going to talk with Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio at 440 to preview the other side of things. Um, tomorrow, we're going to talk with the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, and we'll also have 
Lynn and Lucas on the show. So a good little uh, crop of guests here today and tomorrow, as as always. We always have a great crop of guests. That's one of those things where it's like, hey, you walk up to someone, you look good today, and then everybody else in the room is like, what about me, right? Um, everybody, we love you all. David McCormick, Oscar Shibway is going to be quite the matchup, one that, you know, if I was a Kentucky fan, I'd probably be, you know, salivating about if you're KU. It's kind of just like, like if if there is bad David McCormick on Saturday, I don't know that that's something KU can overcome in this game. I mean, if there is, the only other option is it's like, okay, you know, KJ Adams or Mitch Lightfoot or somebody has to play like the game of their life so far. And as we were talking about yesterday, like if David McCormick gets in foul trouble, what happens? And, and I'm curious on the other side of that, like what happens if Oscar Shibway gets in foul trouble? We'll ask Matt Jones about that. But, you know, both guys have actually been good about not getting in foul trouble. David McCormick is averaging, it's, it's a little over four fouls per 40 minutes. He's not going to play 40 minutes, right? Which means if, if he gives you 20 minutes, he's averaging like two fouls a game. So for the most part, he hasn't really been in foul trouble, but we have seen it where he gets two early fouls. Um, and clearly in a game like this, you're at a higher risk to get a foul going up against a guy who is going to bang with you in the post and you're going to have to be fighting you know, for every inch you get on the court to try to get box out positioning, get rebounds and stuff. So there's a higher chance of it happening. But again, he's done a good job of avoiding it. Sheboy has done an even better job. He's playing over 30 minutes a game. For Kentucky, even his fouls per 40 minutes, it's it's under four fouls per 40 minutes. So, again, a guy that has kind of avoided foul trouble. But that is interesting just in case of of the, you know, worst-case scenario. But the fact that, that Sheboy plays over 30 minutes a game and Dave might only give you 20, at the very least, even if Dave isn't in foul trouble, that leaves some time out there that somebody else is going to have to be on Sheboy. Mitch Lightfoot has done, I think, a good job fulfilling his role. It hasn't always been the best game for him, but, you know, when I look at this game, the the limitations of Mitch Lightfoot, just in terms of, like, he came in as a power forward and then the game started to evolve where he didn't really play like a back-to-the-basket power forward, so now he's kind of been a center. That's fine and well when maybe you're playing Texas Tech or, or teams that don't have a ton of size down low. I don't know how much it works against Oscar Sheboy. Now, he's only like an inch taller than Mitch Lightfoot, but there's a lot more girth there on uh, Oscar Sheboy, a lot more strength there that we've seen Mitch in matchups where it's against like a really strong big. I know this was when Mitch was was an underclassman. I believe he was a sophomore, but the game against like Seton Hall with Angel Delgado where he goes for like 20 and 20, you know, that was not against a big, it was a seven-footer. Angel Delgado was like 6'9", too but he was just a big, strong guy inside, and that's what Oscar Shibwe is, except even better than Angel Delgado because Oscar Shibwe is the National Player of the Year candidate. Um, those types of matchups worry me with Mitch, so I don't know how playable he is. K.J. Adams, really good at the end of last game and, and makes winning plays. He's basically a three-man playing the five because he doesn't have the offensive game yet, which, again, that works in certain matchups. It might work against Oscar Shibwe. I'm not even discounting that because that dude is so strong He's so chiseled for a freshman, tree trunks of legs. He might actually be adept at doing it. But again, you're talking about a freshman who's just 6'7 going up against Shibway. And then Zach Clements, you know, on, on the rebounding side of things and on the defensive side of things, he's just going to get worked because there have been games where you can just see the the core and the, the lower body isn't strong enough to hold up against 
even some of the like non-con opponents KU was playing to where you're just going to get bullied down low by Shibwe. But the alternative is, well, maybe we can trade twos with threes because that would pull Shibwe away from the basket. Or maybe you get open threes with Zach Clements, who's a really good shooter from the five position. The point is they don't really have a, a great option to come off the bench, which means there is a lot of pressure on Dave McCormick in this game. And that's why I say if if you get bad Dave in this game, I, I think it's kind of a non-starter for me of you winning. I already talked about the, the lead guard position. I don't mean to be like pessimistic on this show because here's the deal, as, as negative as some of this sounds, like Ochai Baji could go for 35 points and KU could get, you know, beaten by the other guards and Oscar Shibwe could dominate Dave or whoever the five is down low, but Ochai goes for 35 and, and Christian Brown goes for 25 and it just doesn't matter. And KU finds a way to win regardless. But I think it is a lot harder to find a way for KU winning without Dave at least coming to play for a certain level of play. Now, I think it does have to make you feel a little bit more confident that it's interesting. The The tougher matchups for Dave, this isn't a guy who just like, oh, we're playing a bad team or we're playing a team who doesn't have another true big man or we're playing a team that's undersized and he just feasts. It's almost like the opposite. Like Dave plays better against true big men down low, which is exactly what Oscar Shibwe is. I don't know if there's something there about confidence or not having to to guard out on the perimeter defensively, and maybe that just allows him to get in the rhythm. I, I don't know. That's just the case. But, like, when you think about them going up against, like, Texas Tech, a team who doesn't have, like, that big seven-footer inside, they just swarm you with these small guys. Maybe it's more of a quickness thing than he has his troubles. So from that standpoint, maybe he'll be okay. And I don't know how much I want to take from this. Uh, we have really three matchups with Dave and, and Oscar going up against each other when Shibwe was at West Virginia. Two of them, though, Dave came either off the bench in one of them. In the other one, he was starting next to Udoka. I don't know if you remember that game. It was an early January game. West Virginia was starting Derek Culver and Oscar Shibwe. KU was starting Udoka Azabuki and David McCormick. I mean, talk about 1990s basketball, right? They didn't stick with the lineup super long because eventually KU just learned that, hey, Maybe if we just space them out defensively, you know, that'll be the way to go, which does interest me in the standpoint of the one guy I didn't bring up at the five. We haven't really seen much of Jalen Wilson playing the five. We did see it in the Kentucky game last year, and that was a different matchup. It wasn't Oscar Shibway. It was Isaiah Jackson at the five, but Jalen was able to give them troubles as a small ball five, and, and I can't help but wonder if maybe that gets unleashed a little bit in this specific matchup because maybe, you know, you can recreate a little bit of what happened there. Um, but really there's just one game I would even look at for Dave against, uh, Oscar Shibway. But even then there's a big caveat, um, because Oscar Shibway in this other game where it was just David McCormick starting as the big man, not next to another big David McCormick had 10 points and 11 rebounds. Oscar Shibway had just three points and five rebounds, but Oscar Shibway was starting next to Derek Culver which is not really a good fit to have those two guys next to each other. It just clunks up the lane. He played under 20 minutes in that game. You're going to have more spacing with Kentucky. He's the lone big. So even then, even the one game where you kind of actually had that matchup, you can't really take a ton away. But I do think that's at least a positive that Dave did have some success against Oscar Shibwe at West Virginia. Like I said, Tayu can 
you know, find a way to to win this game with Ojak Baji and Christian Brown going off. And I think it it honestly is as much as I had that conversation about the lead guard spot, I think more of that in in comparison with KU in Kentucky has to do with the long term of this team. To reach your best potential, you don't have to get Remy Martin going, but it'd make it a lot easier. It'd lessen your margin for error. It'd make that lead guard guard spot so much more dynamic and and would really just add another punch to this team. But they can win the game on Saturday, even if it proves out to be that Kentucky's lead guards are indeed a lot better than than KU's lead guards. And again, you can win the game if Oscar Shibwe is better than David McCormick. I just don't think you really have a chance if Oscar Shibwe is dominant over David McCormick, right? If if this is a David McCormick game against Texas Tech or, you know, name your kind of MIA game, then you don't really have that other option. And I think that is a scary proposition, to say the least. For a guy that's been very up and down this year, for a guy that's been inconsistent, if you get good Dave and he has a breakout game against Oscar Shibwe, you know, that that would go a long way. I still wouldn't all of a sudden trust that, hey, it's fixed from here on out because we have seen the inconsistencies. But, I mean, that's kind of a non-starter. Like, it, it can't be bad, Dave. Otherwise, KU is uh, going to be in a, a pretty bad position there. All right, we're going to talk more about that game with Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio. We'll also talk about the game and some more KU basketball with Jay Billis of ESPN. He joins us on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Joined now by Jay Billis. College game day going to be in town here in Lawrence. Fan Fest going on on Friday, and then obviously the show on Saturday with the lead-up to the game. So you and the game day crew coming out to Lawrence this week. I'm just curious. Obviously, this is your first time on the road in a little bit here, which I'm sure is exciting. But um, is there a place you haven't been yet for game day that's on your bucket list? Oh, there are a bunch. I mean, we've never been to Oregon, um, and uh, you know, we've been to like some West Coast places. Uh, I I have actually never never done a game at the Pit in New Mexico, and I would like to do that at some point. Um, but there, you know, we, we've been doing the show. I think it's the sixteenth, might be sixteenth year, seventeenth, maybe eighteenth. I can't remember. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, so we've been a lot of places, but. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing has equaled Allen Fieldhouse. Um, it's, you know, with the, not only the amount of people that come out, but, um, it's hard to put into words how special, uh, that place is. And, um, and for us, it's, a you know, we, we, the only thing we struggle with with Allen Fieldhouse is we're like, how much is too much? Like how many times <laughs> can we go there without somebody saying, okay, enough, you're not the Kansas network. Yeah, uh, well, and this should be obviously a good game too, right? With Kansas, Kentucky, it always is. But um, is is there a little part of you that that wishes that maybe this was, you know, Kansas Auburn this year or something like that? Or are you happy to see another rendition of of KU in Kentucky? Well, last time the Kansas Kentucky played there, if I remember right, uh, it was an overtime game and That's a, right. uh, one of the truly great games. So um, I don't I don't like turn my nose up at, at Kentucky Kansas ever. And uh, even though, you know, every once in a while, it's every few years, it's the, uh, the Champions Classic game, uh, I don't think they can play enough. And the truth is, I think we need more of these uh, type of games in, in sort of late January into February and, and fewer kind of lesser conference games that we, we, you know, that we have. 
Um, I think I think if basketball is going to continue to grow, uh, and and I think it will and it can if if we're smart about it, um, we got to start playing conference games at the start of December and then taking our best inventory in the non-conference and moving it to when uh, football isn't eating up all of the, you know, all the attention and, and all the time. You know, when people are watching, you know, people really start watching now, the average Joe, you know, we've already, you know, the, 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 the diseased fans already watching, but the average Joe really starts paying attention now. And uh, and why not move that inventory into into this period where there are more eyeballs and more interest? So, do you view Kansas and and I guess Kentucky as well, with with that being the game on Saturday? Do you view both those teams in your top tier of title contenders right now? Would they be in that tier below? Who I guess would be in that top group for you? It's about ten. Yeah, it's about ten. So both Kansas and Kentucky are in there, and when Kentucky's healthy, they're they're legit. Um, it's not like last year where you had a couple of teams that were head and shoulders above everybody else, and then you, know, you had all those Big Ten teams that that were powerful, and then and then just kind of didn't perform in the tournament. But um, you know, we don't have a head and shoulders above team this year, and uh, and you know, so it's different, but it's still going to be really good. I mean, we don't, we just don't, you know, we don't know if if Gonzaga and Baylor. Or Baylor had lost last year before the Final Four, I you know I would have been shocked. And uh, and but there's nobody this year that I'm looking at going well. They can't be beat in the second round, or they can't be beating the uh, the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, there's nobody out there that that's like that. You know, we were doing yesterday on the show. We we came up with reasons why if this team won't make the Final Four, those reasons, and then we came up with reasons if they do make the Final Four, here's reasons why. Um, one of the things that I'm really intrigued by is the lead guard position, and obviously that's been a big storyline with Remy Martin. What's going to happen there? How much are you going to get from him? Um, what's Dewan Harris going to provide? And this doesn't seem to be one of those years where you go into the tournament and say, yeah, well, we have Frank Mason or Devontae Graham, right? You don't have that, I guess, All-American playing point guard for you. And I think that's why this Saturday is is so intriguing to me because you look at Kentucky and with Ty Ty Washington, Severe Wheeler is putting up big totals, and both guys that KU was recruiting at one point or another. I, I think for me, uh, the biggest interest, although you know you still have Oscar Shibway and Ochai, the National Player of the Year talk, but that that guard play, seeing how KU does against a team that does have some really good guards, I think for me would go a long way in, in trying to figure out how this team translates into the NCAA tournament. Well, yeah, I mean, it's in this particular game that's going to be um, you know sort of the key matchups are at the guard spots because Wheeler and Washington are so good. Like Washington's the most efficient freshman uh, guard in the country. It's not close. Like he 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 is a low error, high return uh, guard that's going to be a, a lottery pick. Like he's legit. I don't know how healthy he's going to be. You know, didn't play against Mississippi State and all that stuff. Um, uh, so, but but you can see why they would hold him out when they got Kansas on the other end of this. And uh, and then Wheeler is uh, is he's an improved shooter. Like you can't play off him ten twelve feet like Notre Dame did anymore. He's he's doing a better job of taking that space up. Um, but he's not he's not going to bang five threes in a game on you. Um, but I think Devon Harris has done a really good job this year, and uh, and it's been a stabilizing force. He's a really good defender, good passer. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He just he's not a scorer. 
And uh, that that's the only difference is you're you're not going to get a ton of scoring out of the out of the point guard position. But you know you've you've had great teams there where where the point guard wasn't a big time scorer. So you know there's a bunch of different ways to do it and do it right. And uh, and that gives you a weapon in Remy Martin to bring off the bench. Uh, where he could he can go off in a game for you know sixteen or twenty, um, not every game, but he, but that's possible. Yeah, if I if I would have told you before the season that we're at this point of the year and Remy Martin doesn't have a twenty point game yet, I, I don't know if you would believe me. Um, I'm curious on 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 Saturday with the Oscar Shebway Ochag Baji matchup. I I don't know where those guys would rank in the the National Player of the Year race for you, but how much do you think? As as you mentioned, this is a big time of year when a lot of people are starting to tune to college basketball and it being a prime time game on a Saturday night. How much do you think this game is going to impact that race with those two guys on? this big stage helpful not not determinative you know so there's still a long way to go and and how guys play down the stretch and whether you keep your team in the top five or whatever it is um you know when you have games like ochai had against texas tech those are things you remember and same thing with Sheepway. you know he turns around as 20 points and 22 rebounds whatever it was against mississippi state and the guys his fifth you know he had his fifth uh 20 rebound game this year uh, this week, and that um, that the last ones to do that were uh, Blake Griffin and Tim Duncan. So you know he's treading in territory where players of the year have tread, and uh, so you know I, look, I I kind of give him the edge um, it, right now because of he's doing something that you know we we've had guys score twenty one a game before. We we have, we haven't had, we haven't had guys doing this uh, in a long time. And, uh, and he's one of the, you know, he's a marvel. And it's not like he's flying all over the place to get these rebounds. His, his intelligence and positioning as a rebounder is, is next level. It's really impressive to, to how he thinks the game. We're talking with Jay Billis here. I, I'm curious, uh, is the Ochai National Player of the Year kind of race continues on and and we have a lot of talk with that here we were kind of talking about the idea of is he the best wing of the bill self era and then we kind of got into more discussion kind of comparing him to, to paul pierce um as someone who never saw paul pierce at kansas as, as an active college basketball watcher i was i don't know five years old or something um how would you go about that comparison i mean how would you compare him to some of the other great wings i guess in, at the least in the bill self era well, no disrespect to anybody here, but I wouldn't even get into the Paul Pierce comparison. Paul <laughs> Pierce was better, and it's not a discussion. Um, that, that's not to say that Ochai is not going to be National Player of the Year uh, and shouldn't be, and he's not going to play in the NBA for a long time. Uh, but Paul Pierce was better, and I don't even think it's uh, – I, I wouldn't even go into the, the list of reasons why. Yeah, he uh, certainly uh, brought a lot more. I mean, from an efficiency metric, though, I think that's the one thing you could give to Ochai. You could say, well, he's just scoring at such an efficient rate that it's been absolutely remarkable. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's tough when you compare to the other self ones, though, too, because you get into the argument of, you know, do you take the 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 best individual season, or do you take who you think is the most talented player? Right? Could you go with Andrew Wiggins or Josh Jackson? Could Brandon Rush have put up bigger stats if he wasn't on uh, as loaded as a team? I think it's just kind of a an interesting debate, nonetheless. Um, well, here's question- the, here's the debate I would have if I were if I were a Kansas fan, and I, I, I would say, can you believe we get to have this argument with all of these players right. that you go somewhere else and somebody's having a year like Ochai at another school? 
They're not arguing over is he the best. They know he's the best. And when you look up at the Raptors at Allen Fieldhouse and you see all those banners uh, and and all the all the player numbers and all that, you know, some at some other places when they win twenty eight games, they put a banner up for that. You know, and and it's gotten to the point now where if Kansas wins twenty eight games, the fans yawn because it's not enough. That's pretty damn lucky. Yeah, it is. And uh, honestly, it doesn't really matter, the comparisons. It's just kind of, you know, fun radio fodder, which we got to fill time this week, right? Oh, yeah. No, it's all fun. But I mean, but at the end of it, nobody wins the argument. Right. Exactly. So I can sit here and say Paul Pierce is better and that a bunch of people could say, you idiot, Ochai is better. And nobody wins. Right. But exactly. my, my point is, my point is, like, like, God, can you, you know, it, it is nice to step back once in a while and go, can you believe like, I, I, you know, I don't care whether it's Cameron or Stadium or Allen Fieldhouse. If, if you're 100 years old and have been going there since you were six, it, in, on your, you know, your 99th year, and you walk in there and you go, if you're not saying, I can't believe how lucky I am to come into this building, then you've lost all perspective on, on how things should be. Yeah, absolutely. And and by the way, I do, I do agree with you. It is Paul Pierce, but just again, fun conversation. Um, this is kind of an off-topic one here, but I've I've always wanted to ask you this. You've you've come on the show with our our past host with uh, Nick, but um, obviously you guys played KU in the 1986 Final Four when when you were at Duke. So I'm just I'm just genuinely curious, what was game planning like for Danny Manning, and and can you explain to I guess the younger folks like myself who maybe never saw Danny Manning play live. Like why he is renowned as the most accomplished player in KU history? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Will Chamberlain played at uh, at Kansas, but but outside of that, Danny Manning was the best player ever there, and uh, and I don't hesitate to say that um, he was his versatility was uh, was incredible, and at at his size at six ten six eleven, his ability to handle the ball to pass it. Uh, he could shoot it. He was a an outstanding rebounder. He defended well. Um, you know, our game plan against Kansas wasn't about Danny because he was he was just a sophomore that year, um, and we had seen him. I had seen him play in high school. Uh, he went to Greensboro, Greensboro Page High School, and uh, and he actually played uh, the his team played the North Carolina JV team right before we played. You know, Michael Jordan and and uh, Sam Perkins and all that that right after at Carmichael Auditorium. And and of course that was intentional. Uh, you know they the, they set that game up so that the Danny Manning could be in the <laughs> building before one of their biggest games. But it was uh, um, you know they had they had a lot of older players on that team that were ridiculously good. You know Cedric Hunter was their point guard. Um, they, they, Ron Kellogg uh, was uh, was their small forward. It was absurd how talented that team was, and then great—you know—I had to guard Greg Dryling. Um, but we, the funny part was we played them twice that year, won them both, and Kansas played Louisville twice, beat them twice, and then we lose to Louisville in the championship game by a bucket. And you're like, hey, really? Um, you know, it's just one of those deals. But those were the the teams that played when well, we played Kansas in the in the uh, national semifinal, the Final Four. They had won 35 games. We had won 36. At that time, I don't know what it is now, but at that time, that's the most wins that had ever been on the floor at the same time in, in college basketball history. Like, they were historically good, and so were we. And uh, and it's too bad that game wasn't in the championship game because it should have been. 
Yeah, funny enough, I, I don't know if it's been topped since then, but the Memphis-Kansas game from 08 actually was the, the record at the time. I don't, I don't know if it got topped. I think last year probably would have been topped if they would have had the, the full non-con with Baylor and Gonzaga. But. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It would have been. All right, uh, last thing I got for you, uh, better idea, Bill Walton reality TV series or an ESPN Plus miniseries following a bunch of college basketball managers for a season? Oh, the managers. I mean, Walton... Um, Walton is hilarious, but I think if it was, uh, if it was just a show, uh, it would not, it would not be as good. The managers would be revealing and you could see just all the stuff that goes on behind. I mean, uh, I, I, I love that stuff. Every time I get a chance to talk with managers, I, I, I pump them for stories about things that have gotten screwed up on road trips and they're, <laughs> they're hilarious. He is Jay Billis. You can uh, hear him on the call Saturday, KU Kentucky. You'll see him on College Game Day this weekend. Jay, thank you so much for your time, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right, that was Jay Billis. Thanks to Jay for joining the show. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio helps us preview the KU Kentucky game coming up in about 15 minutes or so from right now. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. Solo today, Adam Dravetta deserted me. So I'm all by myself. Um, Patrick Mahomes is is probably the answer here to this question. I'm about to, I guess, rhetorically ask for the who is the greatest postseason Chiefs player of all time. Like it's probably already Patrick Mahomes. He has like half their playoff wins already. Uh, I saw a stat that he's less than like a hundred yards away from becoming the Chiefs' all-time postseason leader in rushing yards as a quarterback who's only 26 years old. You know, kind of shares the, uh, I guess, sorry postseason history of the Chiefs prior to Patrick Mahomes coming in. But I think the the second answer on that list probably has to go to Travis Kelsey. Most accomplished player in the postseason. Now, anybody who was on the Super Bowl winning team in in 1969 obviously would, would have to go up in that list. And there were some absolute unbelievable Hall of Fame players. When you think of Buck Buchanan and Bobby Bell or you go to quarterback and Len Dawson, on and on down the list, right? But Travis Kelsey, what he has done in the postseason is absolutely insane. Obviously, he added another big play to his resume, the game-winning touchdown against the Bills. He had the catch before the field goal to tie the game up. Heck, he had a touchdown pass last week in the wildcard round against the Steelers if all of his receiving numbers weren't enough. These are Travis Kelsey's stats now, though, in the postseason. And, and here's the thing. Like, I don't know. If you really wanted to, you could probably argue, again, like the quarterback has more to do with performance and Chiefs won a Super Bowl because of Patrick Mahomes, so he would be number one on the list. But Travis Kelsey was also doing this before Patrick Mahomes in the postseason as well, which which adds to how incredible he has been in the playoffs. He's now appeared in 14 career playoff games, so about – a season's worth, just a little bit less of a regular season in postseason games. He has 96 catches for 1,196 yards and 11 touchdowns. I mean, that is a Pro Bowl receiver season 
in 14 playoff games. Those are unbelievable numbers for a tight end in 14 playoff games. If you were to average that out or or prorate that out to what is now a 17-game schedule in the NFL, those statistics for Travis Kelsey would equate to over a 17-game season, 117 catches, 1,452 yards, and 13 touchdowns. And that is what he's doing against playoff teams, the best teams in the NFL. He is having that type of a season against the best teams in the world. That is his playoff career. And this adds to, I think, even more of how, I guess, just bananas those numbers are because you might just be hearing those numbers and don't know the context there, and it's just, well, who cares? I mean, if if you look at how, how those would rank just all time in terms of, like, most receiving yards or most receptions by a tight end in an individual season, if you had 117 catches in a single season for a tight end, that would be the most catches ever by a tight end in a regular season. If you had 1,452 receiving yards in a single season for a tight end, that would be the most receiving yards for a tight end in a single season. If you had 13 receiving touchdowns, that would be the third most receiving touchdowns by a tight end ever in a single season. He'd be doing all of those things. That's the pace he would be on over the course of one season from his playoff stats. Again, against the best teams in the world. Unbelievable performance for him. I do want to do some role-player talk here uh, with the Chiefs. Pleasant surprise, I think, to me that Jet McKinnon got more run than, I guess, literally than than Clyde Edwards-Alaire in that game. It wasn't a very efficient game for Jet McKinnon. 10 carries, 26 yards, didn't do a ton. He was good in the receiving game, and that continues to be a nice boon to what he has brought to the offense. He's been really good in the screen game for the Chiefs, and that's obviously an Andy Reid staple ever since he was with Philadelphia. I think you you got probably a little less from the screen game from Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He's just not as explosive of a player or as as fast. He's more of a you know, just kind of shifty player who unlike Jet McKinnon who's more of explosive up and down vertically down the field. And I think that'll continue to be the way for Jet. Clyde looked good off the bench. He I don't know if it's just a situation of having fresh legs, of running harder because it's the postseason or what it was. He did look good. I still think Jet McKinnon, though, is probably the guy you want to go with at running back, and and that was probably made clear by the snap count. McKinnon had 53 snaps in that game. Clyde Edwards-Alaire had just 23 in the game. I, I think maybe it's a little bit closer this week. In fact, it probably will be. But I still think Jet should be the starter overall, and, and that's why I was pleasantly surprised. The Chiefs have a really good run-blocking offensive line. I don't know that that was necessarily the intention when they put it together and they used all these resources, whether it was signing guys with money, trading for guys with draft picks, using draft picks on certain players. But they wound up with an offensive line that's really good at run-blocking. And there have been times this year where Clyde Edwards-Alaire has been a fine running back, but has he been able to take advantage of some of the holes to the fullest extent? Maybe not. And what we saw in the the final week of the regular season against the Broncos, what we saw 
in the wild card week against the Steelers was that Jet McKinnon was probably more adept to do that. Now, over the course of a regular season, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is the guy over Jet McKinnon because we just know from past history, Jet McKinnon has not been able to stay healthy. And so in that situation, he is more of a secondary back or a third down back or a, a pass receiving back or whatever. But in the postseason where, you know, it's less about the longevity, it's just what can you bring us this specific week, he just seems to be a better fit in this situation. And I worried a little bit about the idea that the coaching staff was just going to say, even after Jet McKinnon looked so good in those last two weeks, that they were just going to give it back to Clyde Edwards-Alaire and you were going to lose what was a better fit into the offense. And even though Clyde did outperform Jet McKinnon in terms of rushing yards and yards per carry, I don't think that was because Jet McKinnon was running worse. I mean, the Clyde Edwards-Alaire runs, they were just opening up huge holes in the line. And like I said, you're getting things in the passing game, which that was kind of the the false narrative or false bill of goods that we were sold when the Chiefs utilized the first-round pick on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. It was that... Look how many catches this guy had for LSU. Look at all the receiving yards he gathered. He's going to be able to come in. He's going to be Brian Westbrook for the Chiefs offense. He's going to catch a bunch of passes. They're going to use him in the receiving game. He's going to do what Kareem Hunt did, where they line him up out at receiver in the slot, and he can make guys you know, miss on a, a strong route or, or just outrun everybody on a deep ball. That hasn't been the case with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Jet McKinnon has done a lot more in the receiving game and for that point alone for a team that's going to pass it more for a team that is going to rely on the passing game more than the running game having that just open things up so much more and and as we talk about this overused but accurate two shell defense that all these teams are playing against the Chiefs where they have these two safeties playing up high and they're playing man-to-man across the board you're going to have to check things down you're going to have to hit the short passes Screen passes can be an extension of that, right? And if Jet McKinnon's giving you more than Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he should still be the guy. And I think, as I mentioned with the snap count, that was kind of a pleasant surprise for me. Uh, Other role player talk, McCole Hardman and Byron Pringle continue to emerge. I think at the beginning of the season, there were a lot of questions about how the Chiefs could survive without another option in the receiving game. That kind of tertiary option behind Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, or that secondary receiver. They signed, obviously, Josh Gordon, and and that didn't really work out. Um, And I think there have been, you know, valid criticisms there of not investing in another guy after you lost Sammy Watkins, not drafting someone. Or I mean, they did try to a certain extent. They they offered Juju Smith-Schuster, who sounds like he might be in the fold for this next offseason, actually more money than the Steelers did, but he ended up signing with Pittsburgh anyway. So it's not that they didn't try. Um, And I'm not saying it's not still a need for this team. It absolutely is, right? You go out this offseason, get as many weapons for Patrick Mahomes as you can. Sign Juju Smith-Schuster. Use a third-round draft pick on a receiver. You know, add more in there, whether it's because, you know, McCole Hardman's going to be a free agent after next year, just you, it's better to have more weapons and, and so forth. Guys are getting older, whatever. But, from what was a question of not if they could use more help, because as I just mentioned, they still absolutely could. It's 
well, we understand they could use more help there and that they could use more talent at that position, but is what they currently have, is the way the receiver room is currently constructed good enough to win the Super Bowl? And the way that these defenses are playing them, if there's a game where they take away Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey, are you going to have enough there? I think as the season went on and once we got to the end of the season, that's been a big progression of this team. I don't know if it's Patrick Mahomes trusts them more or if they've made plays so that allows him to trust them more or they're just playing better. They understand the offense. Well, I, I don't know. I almost wonder if a turning point was that first Steelers game, though, and I think week 16. Travis Kelsey was out for the game. Byron Pringle had a huge game. Byron Pringle has been a, a solid number two for this team. Again, you could use an upgrade in the offseason, but as it currently is constructed, you obviously know that you're not going to be able to add anything right now. I think it is good enough to win the Super Bowl. Clearly, it was good enough to beat one of the best teams in the NFL with the Bills in the division round. And I think with McCole Hardman, it's it's probably less about, like with Pringle, I don't think it's necessarily like the Chiefs are using him so differently. Maybe he's being used more, but I don't see what Byron Pringle's doing and go, yeah, he's just running completely different routes now than he was before. I think it's just an increase in usage. Patrick Mahomes is trusting him. There's, he's usually good for like a drop early in the game, and then it seems like he bounces back. But with McCole Hardman, I think that's just a case of Chiefs are just using him right. I think for a while you were almost trying to fit a, a round peg into a square hole and trying to say, hey, we're going to try to make you into this receiver. And I don't blame him for doing that. You used a second-round pick on the guy, so obviously you want to try to get the most out of it, you want him to emerge into a legit number two receiver. But I think at some point this season, they finally said, you know what, let's cut bait with that. We're going to use him as DeAnthony Thomas plus. DeAnthony Thomas was a gadget guy. You could have him get jet sweeps. You could have him catch short passes. Let him do stuff after the catch. McCall Hardman's a better version of that because he's just so fast. Now that they've used him in that role, there still is every time he touches the ball. I'm sure a big part of the fan base, including myself, who will sit there and go, don't fumble, don't fumble, don't fumble, right? But now that they're using him in the proper way, you can see that he is actually a, a pretty key piece, a key role player to this offense. Was he worth a second-round pick? No. In the same way Clyde Edwards-Alaire wasn't worth a first-round pick. But for what you have, for what you're making out of these guys, the Chiefs are, uh, I think, really finding some key role play from these guys at the end of the season. All right, we're going to be joined by Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio to help preview the KU-Kentucky game on Saturday. He joins us next. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it. This weather update is brought to you by your York dealer, Dunco Heating and Cooling. You're listening to Rock Truck Sports Talk. Derek Johnson here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, and KLWN.com. KU takes on Kentucky. You can hear it here on Saturday, pregame at 330 Tip-off at 5 o'clock between the Jayhawks and Wildcats. We're joined now by Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio. Matt, thank you for coming on today. We've had you on a, a few times over the past couple of years when this Champions Classic has occurred. And, and I'm just curious from the uh, onset of, of Kentucky after coming off that tough year last year, John Calipari using the transfer portal, do you think this is just going to be kind of an odd year in terms of switching over from a bunch of the freshman one-and-dones to the transfer portal, or do you think this is here to stay and we're about to see kind of a, a reign of terror from John Calipari in the uh, transfer portal moving forward? I think it'll be a combo. I mean, 
this team this year, if you're a Kansas fan and you haven't watched Kentucky play, is very different than any Kentucky team you've seen since Cal's been here. In many ways, I was saying on the radio today, I think it's kind of like a Kansas team. I mean, you guys over the years, I've always thought, had some great players, but were not necessarily crazy elite athletes. There was always a big who was kind of more of a traditional college big and great shooters. That's kind of how I see Kansas at their best. I kind of think that's how Kentucky is this year. It's the oldest team. Think about this. After years of freshmen, this is the oldest team in Kentucky basketball history. They've never had a team older than this one. It's, it's amazing. Of their top eight guys, only one of them's a freshman, and most of them are juniors and seniors. So it's a transition year. Cal didn't think a couple of his assistants were getting the recruiting job done. He switched back to two new guys. They are doing well, so Kentucky's got a great class coming in next year. But I don't think, he's, I don't think Cal's going back to five or six freshmen and see what happens. I think he's going to end up doing what he did, what he's doing next year. He'll have three freshmen coming in that are all really good, and then he'll mix it with guys in the transfer portal. So I think the transfer portal has changed everything. Kentucky, of their top seven guys, there's five transfer portal guys. One freshman, one guy who's been at Kentucky since he was a freshman, and five transfer portal guys. It's a different Kentucky team. We're talking with Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio. I I know here one of the big conversations about this game, and it ended up not happening. Um, There were a lot of KU fans hoping that Kentucky would would lose a couple more games, that this game on Saturday would mean, you know, the winner could be the all-time win leaders in in the NCAA. And And I don't even know if it'll end up mattering because with the IARP case, Whenever that comes down for KU, they could be stripped of some wins and and get set back there. Um, but has that been a conversation at all for you guys that you know KU with the chance to to win on Saturday, they would be just two wins back, which would be I think their closest since the nineteen uh, sixties that the two programs would be. Yeah, a little bit. We've talked about it. Uh, you know, Kentucky lost the all time wins lead for about twelve years to North Carolina and then took it back, uh, actually took it back about 10 years ago uh, when Cal got here. So, you know, the, I, 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 this is just my opinion. I think it's inevitable. Absent there being a huge thing that happens in your all's NCAA violations case, I think it's inevitable you guys take that, especially because the new Big 12 is not going to be probably as hard as the old one, although the Big 12 been, was great last year. I just think it's inevitable. The home court advantage is so good for Kansas. They'll probably take it at some point, and that's just the way it is. But, yeah, there are a lot of Kentucky fans that care about that. I think they, a lot of Kentucky fans really were happy that it wouldn't be done, like, during the game cause, or after the game because that would have been a bad one uh, for, most, for most of the big blue to handle. Yeah, that would have been quite the storyline if that would have been going into it. Um, so Kentucky has four losses this season. Uh, when I look at KU and, and their consistencies between their losses, you know, struggle with two point defense or um, struggle with the five man position. And uh, is there been a, a common theme in, in what's led to to the losses for Kentucky so far this year? Well, yes and no. I mean, here's the thing: it all depends on. There's the optimist and the pessimist view of Kentucky's season. I'm more on the optimist side. I actually think Kentucky matches up really well with Kansas. And the games they've lost, 
Duke and Auburn both had an elite athlete as a power forward that Kentucky, the only thing Kentucky doesn't have on this roster is a really athletic four. And it's the one weakness Kentucky has. And, of course, Auburn and Duke with Banchero and Jabari Smith have it. And that was Kentucky just couldn't guard them. The, the Auburn game, Kentucky was up 10 when Ty Ty Washington went out. And then they're not deep. This is the least deep Kentucky team in a long time. They got seven guys who can play. The rest of the guys really aren't good enough. So when, when Ty Ty went out, they just didn't have enough good players. I think if Ty Ty had stayed healthy, I think Kentucky wins that game at Auburn. The Notre Dame loss is bad. That was, that was a terrible loss, no excuse. LSU, Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler both got hurt during the game. And again, they don't have depth. So against Kansas, if they're healthy, if Kentucky is fully healthy, I think they're. I think they win, and I don't ever predict Kentucky to win at Kansas because the atmosphere is so great. But if one of those Ty Ty may not play, and he doesn't play, Kentucky doesn't have a chance. So we'll have to wait and see. I hope he plays so it's a full strength game. The, the pessimist view is: look, Kentucky's had a lot of these games and still hadn't beaten somebody good away from Rupp Arena, and that's a fair point. And that's kind of why I think they look at Saturday and go, "Here's the chance to do it." Yeah, that'd be quite the uh, road win for the for for a big statement there. Um, you mentioned some of the matchups, and certainly, I'm sure a big talking point of of the broadcast and stuff will be the national player, the race, Oscar Shibway versus Ochai. But obviously, they won't be going up against each other. We've been kind of interested in the idea of what happens if either of the big men get in foul trouble um, with Oscar Shibway or David McCormick. Now, neither guy has really. Uh, gotten in foul trouble much this season so it's not to say that I expect it but when I look at KU everything you mentioned with the lack of depth for Kentucky you know at the at the center position for for Kansas Mitch Lightfoot has done an admirable job coming off the bench and, and filling a specific role but that's not a good matchup against Oscar Shibway. KJ Adams maybe has some of the strength to go up against Oscar Shibway, but he's only 6'7 he's basically a three playing the five and then Zach Clements I don't even know if he'd play but it, you'd basically be saying, okay, well, we hope he can hit some threes as a stretch five because he's going to get worked inside by Oscar Shibway. And then even that's disregarding the fact that David McCormick has been so up and down and so inconsistent this year. Um, as you look at the, the Kentucky side of things, I, I don't know. Is is this a game where if Oscar Shibway just doesn't get in foul trouble, like I, I just don't really see the way that Kansas can match up with him inside? Yeah, they'll have a hard time. I mean, how long, let me ask you, I haven't watched enough of McCormick this year. How long is he? Is he a shot blocker? Yeah, so McCormick is actually, it's it's McCormick and Oscar Shibway if you go 1-2 in offensive rebounding percentage in the country. So he's done a really good job at, on the offensive glass, but he's struggled a bit on the defensive glass, which can leave something there for Oscar Shibway. He's 6'10". He's a really yeah, strong so, so guy. Oscar has struggled. Yeah, Oscar has struggled against Lynx. First of all, Oscar, I haven't seen anybody who can stop Oscar from rebounding and get in position. I, if, if McCormick can, I'd salute him. I haven't seen anybody who could do it. Malik, the Malik Williams guy, Duke, couldn't do it. Kessler couldn't do it at Auburn. What, what, what Oscar does struggle at a little bit is scoring over Lynx. That has been a problem for him. He, Kessler really hurt him, blocked a bunch of his shots. So that's where Oscar has vulnerability, but I think he is in good shape. Now, if he gets in foul trouble, Kentucky's not real deep, but they have a couple guys they can put in to steal minutes. The bigger issue for Kentucky is foul trouble 
again, back to the same two guys, Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler. They're the only two players on Kentucky's roster who can beat their man off the dribble. Kellen Grady might be the best three-point shooter in the country, but he can't beat guys off the dribble. Davion Mint, great three-point shooter, can't beat guys off the dribble. So if they lose Wheeler or Ty-Ty, whether to injury or foul trouble, that's where they really get hurt. Most of the other guys, Kentucky can replace for periods of time. They have no replacement for those two guys, and that's why the only thing I watch in the first half is do not get two fouls on Wheeler or Ty-Ty because Kentucky's a different team when that happens. Well, and I was mentioning in the open, that to me is the most intriguing kind of matchup of this game because when, when I think of NCAA tournament runs and you hear this cliche all the time, you need lead guard play to lead you there. And the way that I look at Kentucky, they absolutely have that with Ty Ty Washington, who's going to be a lottery pick. He's been so good. And uh, Severe Wheeler, who, you know, he struggles shooting the ball, but you look at some of the other things he does, he does them at an elite level. And I think it only gets added to in this game, the idea that, KU was in on Ty Ty Wheeler, but lost the recruiting battle to Kentucky. I, I don't know how much they were in on Severe Wheeler. They certainly were. I don't know if that was something where they pulled back and they opted for Remy Martin or whatnot, but that would make it even more intriguing if you get a Remy Martin-Severe Wheeler matchup because then it's basically, hey, we chose this guy over the other. Let's see who wins. And um, as it currently stands for KU, like that's that's a big question. Do they have the the punch of the lead guard play? to make a run in the NCAA tournament, which feels so weird because normally you have your Frank Masons or Devontae Grahams or Sharon Collins that that's not really a question. But right now, Dewan Harris is a solid role player. Remy Martin, they're struggling to figure out that situation. It's just kind of been a weird ordeal with the relationship there with with him and Bill Self. I, I am just genuinely curious to see if KU can hold up at the guard positions because on paper, I think, it's a big opportunity for K or for Kentucky to have a big advantage in this game. But if KU can kind of hold their own there, then I think that would probably be the best news for KU as far as their long-term potential of being an NCAA tournament um, long-haul team. I agree with everything you said. I mean, I, I'm a big believer. Look, in the NCAA tournament, things matter differently than matter in the regular season. For instance, defense, travels in the regular season but in the tournament the game slows down all of a sudden you got to have guys make shots 2015 team was probably the best defensive team college basketball may have ever had but against wisconsin they couldn't make enough shots they lost so kentucky this year the thing i like about this team is at the end of the game ty ty washington and severe wheeler can get guys shot against mississippi state tuesday night ty ty was out but severe wheeler got penetration, kicked it out. Kellen Grady opened three. They win the game. That's how That's how Kentucky wins. And, and like last year's team didn't have that. That's part of why they were so bad. Kentucky was one and nine last year in games uh, decided by five or less. It was because they just didn't have a guy who could do that down the stretch. They have that this year. You know, I, I, I listen, I really like this team. It's one weakness is depth. But I always say, if you're going to have a weakness, let it be depth, because in the tournament, you don't have to play as many guys. The game's longer. So I like this Kentucky team. It's all about health, man. When they, you know, take the game Tuesday night, if Ty Ty Washington's there, they'd beat Mississippi State by 20. He wasn't there. Mississippi State was able to come back, and Kentucky squeaked it out in overtime. They're just not equipped to beat teams when they don't have their full seven guys Ty-Ty, I think, will play Saturday. 
But if he doesn't, if, 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 if the starting lineup comes out and Ty Ty doesn't play, you know, just go ahead and rock it up, rock chalk it up because you guys are going to win. <laughs> okay, one thing I am curious because, I, as I mentioned, like I, I don't know how well KU is going to have um, positive results at, at the five position against Shibwe or at the guard positions against those lead guards, assuming, like you said, if they do play. But I am curious on the other end around, does Kentucky have a viable option to try and defend Ochai Baji? Not really. I mean, they'll they'll probably put Jacob Toppin on him. So Jacob Toppin and Keon Brooks split the four, and Jacob is a really good defender. And so I think that's who they'll put on him. The problem for that for Kentucky is they 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 can't play him the whole game because he's just not a huge offensive weapon. And what he does really well rebound they already get with Oscar. So. They have to kind of split time. I think the problem for Kentucky will be when Jacob Toppin, either because of foul trouble or just because of offense, is not in the game. Because then I don't think they have anybody to guard him. I mean, Kellen Grady will not be able to guard him. They might try Keon Brooks. I don't think that works. Although Keon did an admirable job against Jabari Smith. But it's all about Jacob Toppin. He's the best defender on the team. I'm sure he'll be the guy who does most of the minutes against him. He's very long. That's the thing. A lot of the wings that are, have been strong Kentucky's played against, they've really, really struggled against him because of how long he is. You know, he's Obi Toppin's brother. He can jump out of the gym. He's not an offensive weapon, but defensively he's very, very good. He won't play the whole game, but the half he plays, that's probably Kentucky's best option. Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio. Matt, thank you so much for the time. Before uh, I let you go, though, do you have a favorite, I don't know, story, memory, game from this little series that's occurred recently between the Champions Classic and the Big 12 SEC showdown between these two teams? Well, my favorite game between the two teams was the 2012 National Championship. But uh, <laughs> the game that I think the, be the best game those two teams have played in this little series Kentucky lost, but I think I want to say it was the De'Aaron Fox team, and yeah. it went into overtime. Do you remember that game? That was a that was a really really good game. The problem is in the Big Twelve Challenge when we're at home, we never get Kansas, and when we're on the road, we always go to Kansas. <laughs> and I don't understand how that happened. We've gone to Lawrence a lot more than you guys have come to Lexington. And there's a certain referee that has showed up at that game many times, although because of litigation against me, he probably <laughs> will not show up at this one on Saturday, which is good news for the Cavs. Oh, my goodness. Fantastic stuff. I just remember the game in uh, Kentucky where uh, K Kentucky won. Reed Travis was on the team. And uh, I just remember the most confident jump shot from David McCormick of all time in transition that was uh, the biggest clunker ever, but yeah, there were some uh, good games in there, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have another good one on Saturday. Matt, thank you so much for the time, man. Uh, appreciate you coming on and, and carving out some time for me. Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, that's Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Hope that was uh, at least helpful in, in getting kind of a view of Kentucky. I, I think it's going to be a really big game for Ojag Baji. I think he is going to go off in this game, and, and that might be enough for you to win. But I am worried about those lead guard spots and, and the center spots. It's that stuff in the middle with Ochai and Christian that maybe could be the difference for KU. This is RCST, two hours down, one to go.